Studio 67 in Florida's Capital County. It's time to get fact-checked. Access granted. Good people of Florida, what is going on? You have got Jared, Courtney, and Amir with another episode of Fact Check. We Hi are live everyone. from Florida's Capital County, ready to catch you guys up on the week's happenings over at the Capitol. Uh, we have got about 35 days, by my calculations, until signy die. Uh, how you guys feeling? It's been a long week. It has mm, been a long. We're week. almost there. <laughs> <laughs> we're almost. I, I think we're all ready for the weekend. Uh, you know, good chance to recharge. Um, but you know, Sonny Die will be here before you know. You guys know what Sonny Die is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember. You know, so it, it's it's Latin for without a day. Okay. You know, no more days. No after more that. days. We're out of days. Fun I remember, fact: I've missed Sonny Die every single year. Have you really nursing the hanky dog? No, it always falls near my birthday. See, I slept in last year and missed it by like five minutes. I was like sprinting to the Capitol. And That's so sad. And you didn't uh, make it. And. Um, it's really funny when you're when you're like walking around the fourth floor though. They've got like all the photos of the old Sunny Die mm-hmm. yes. uh, celebrations on the walls and stuff, and people were like breaking out like champagne and mimosas yeah. and stuff. Can, can we bring champagne this year? I, I don't know where we all went wrong. You know, nowadays uh, it's this very polite little yeah. hanky drop. You know, we go on our way, and then the, the governor gives an address. Um, but the white know, hankies. I, I think it's time we we return to the golden age of Sunny Die. Uh, but you know. That's obviously uh, still a ways away. Um, so in the meantime, we will catch you guys up on what's going on. Uh, big week. We saw Mr. Davin Suggs come out of retirement at the podium this week. First time testifying in seven years. I will jump right into that bill, actually. Uh, I believe it was heard in both chambers. Uh, that is the mobility fees conflict, let's call it, that we're, that we're seeing. House Bill 479 was heard in the House Commerce Committee, uh, and the Senate Companion, uh, Senate Bill 688, was heard in Senate Transportation. What this bill does that is so problematic is it allows only the building department permitting a development to charge for the impacts of that development. Uh, Obviously, what we're seeing here is you've got a development within municipal boundaries, uh, and it's impacting both municipal and county road systems. You know, these roads don't exist in a vacuum. There are county roads within municipal boundaries. There are county roads outside of municipal municipal boundaries that may be impacted by this development still. Uh, And so what it says is that uh, the permitting department uh, is the only one that can charge these fees. They are directed to collect fees for extra-jurisdictional impacts. Uh, There is not a lot of clarity on how that would be done. Uh, First of all, there's a little bit of confusion as to whether the word jurisdictional refers to authority or geographic boundaries. And so we're looking to clean that language up a little bit. Uh, Beyond that, what we're seeing is, you know, let's say a municipality collects the impact fee. Do we, in turn, have to, you know, go and ask for our, our monthly allowance afterwards? Yeah. Technically, uh, to, yes. To, to get our side <laughs> of, of the fees, you know, fix up our part of that road system. Uh, and so it, it's just a little messy right now. Uh, Bob McKee and Davin both kind of raised some of these concerns at the podium. And so this is one that we'll just have to keep chipping away on. Uh, but with that being said, we will move on to Courtney. Uh, Courtney, what is going on with local preferences? So local preferences was up again this week on Tuesday in um, House 
State Affairs. The originally filed version preserved local authority to award contracts based on geographical preferences for projects funded exclusively with local dollars. However, the committee adopted a strike all amendment removing this language and further expanding the preemption. So, locally funded, you have no preferences left. Everything in the House bill is falling to the state. In the Senate version, you know, we still do have that geographical preference um, protection for those solely sourced projects. Yeah, obviously both sides of that bill are not in great shape right now. Senate is a little better in that it does preserve those geographic preferences. As Courtney mentioned, the House version is continuing to preempt us on everything from wages to staffing to apprenticeship programs. Uh, And and so that's something that faculties have to continue opposing. Amir, we're going to kick it over to you, man. Uh, What is going on in the world of FRS? Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, on Wednesday, we have Rep. Basada Cabrera presenting HB 151 uh, to the House Appropriations Committee. And uh, this bill uh, encompasses quite a few changes to the FRS system, which is going to affect pension plan members and our retirees. So to kind of go through that list, it first restores a 3% cost of living adjustment for eligible FRS pension plan members initially enrolled before July 1st, 2011. But this COLA is limited to the first $150,000 of annual benefit and adjustment above that threshold are tied to service credit earned before July 1st, 2011. Uh, Additionally, with that, uh, member contribution rates are increased to better align with benefits earned by different employee classes. Allocation investment plans accounts for each membership class are raised, aiming to enhance the overall system. Um, Another noteworthy thing, the bill closes the FRS preservation of benefits plan to new members starting July 1st, 2026. Retirees are now allowed to receive both compensation from an FRS participating employer and retirement benefit. Thanks, Amir. Yeah, this one's a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, Obviously, there's a bit of a price tag attached to this one uh, for counties, but, you know, obviously, it's also our internal county employees that are going to be reaping the the rewards of this this program. Um, So, you know, one for us to watch going forward. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And it, it, it ended up being passed favorably through this committee. Um, its final committee stop was removed, and now it's placed on special order group. It'll meet on February 7th. And to double back on that uh, county contribution to the Florida Retirement System Trust Fund, it's looking to be a $713.2 million price tag for counties um, in the fiscal year, for the next fiscal year of 24-25. So. Well, and we will see what the finalized version of that looks like uh, as kind of the budget process ramps up in in this coming week. Um, So, you know, more to watch there, obviously. Um, In the world of PACE, uh, we have got two bills moving in very different directions here. Uh, Just to to catch you guys up, if you'll recall, uh, FAC has been supporting language that would require a PACE provider, a PACE program administrator, to get a county or municipality's authorization to operate their program within their boundaries through ordinance or resolution. Uh, this all comes following some some litigation where a particular PACE provider decided to circumvent uh, some of the interlocal agreements we've had in place uh, and is now operating on a statewide basis without any real oversight. Uh, we were looking to make that language in statute a little more airtight going forward. Um, More specifically, uh, Senate Bill 770 does have the language fix we have been looking for. Uh, You know, Jeff Scala got up and and supported that one in committee. Um, On the House side, on the other hand, uh, that was originally in the language of the underlying bill. Uh, They adopted an amendment this week that removed our legislative clarification 
And the reason given uh, is that following that controversial bond validation hearing last year um, that kind of emboldened some of these PACE providers to operate on a statewide basis, uh, they are actually rehearing it as of today, Friday the 2nd. Um, I, I'm not an attorney. I, I don't know how frequent that is, uh, but I, I think the House sponsor wanted to give some deference to the legal proceedings of that, let it play out organically, um, rather than you know kind of putting her thumb on the scale, so to speak. Um, and so, unfortunately, fact did have to oppose that one in committee um, until it you know gets that language back that we're looking for. Shifting gears, we're going to kick it back over to Courtney now uh, to talk about the Live Local Glitch Fix Bill. Courtney, what's going on with that? What are the latest developments? Yeah, on Wednesday, the Senate Physical Policy Committee uh, unanimously passed um, Senate Bill 328, which is the Live Local Glitch Bill. Um, during the committee, it did adopt an amendment that did make some significant changes. Um, it restored the directive for local government to approve qualified developments in industrial areas. So originally when the bill was filed, we did see that industrial zoning taken out and now it has been put back in uh preempts the local government's floor area ratio for qualifying developments modifies the height preemption provision to address situations where a qualifying development is adjacent to a single family parcel and um with that a county may restrict the height of the proposed development to 150% of the tallest building on property within one quarter mile of the proposed development or three stories. And um, this was previously a mile. So now within a quarter mile, this can happen. Uh, and another significant change it made is it requires that 10 units rather than 70 units be set aside for income limited people and family in the keys. So that only is for the keys. They are carved out there. Other than that, the uh, appropriations part of the bill did get put back in. A hundred million in non-reoccurring funds from, from the general revenue uh, to the Florida Housing Finance Corporation. Um, other than that, the bill is going to the floor next on the Senate and the House bill has not been heard yet at all. Thanks, Courtney. Well said. Uh, I know there's a lot of moving parts there, obviously. A lot. <laughs> moving right along, uh, the state is back to take another chunk out of our property tax base uh, if they are successful here. Amir, what is going on with the latest homestead exemption reform? Yeah, so this will be um, our first set of bills on the podcast that has made it through its committees and reached the floor. So we have uh, House Joint Resolution 7017 as well as House Bill 7019. Uh, both reached the House floor on Thursday, both of which were passed favorably and now await for the Senate to create a companion bill, which doesn't exist yet. And to explain what these bills do, just very briefly, 7017 proposed an annual adjustment to the second homestead exemption for inflation by indexing the CPI. Specifically, the value of the exemption will be updated each January 1st. Based on the percentage dropped reported by the U.S. Department of Labor, Bureau of Labor Statistics, now 7019 is just the implementing bill for 7017, which also provides for the annual appropriation to offset losses experienced to our fiscally constrained counties. So we're just going to wait for the Senate to kind of follow suit and see if they create a companion bill or not. Thanks, Amir. Yeah, we, I know we've touched on this a couple times now. Uh, we saw this as part of a series of homestead bills that came out of the Ways and Means Committee a couple weeks back. As far as we understand, uh, one thing I will say is that HB 7015, uh, which was part of that series as well, uh, this would have doubled the second homestead exemption um, 
the assessed value of the second homestead exemption uh, would have had a huge fiscal impact for counties, and that one, to our to our knowledge, is dead. Uh, they are moving forward with the CPI indexing, though, uh, so we'll just have to see how that plays out. Uh, Going to circle back to Courtney now. Uh, what is the latest on sovereign immunity? What are those caps looking like? Yeah, Jared, sovereign immunity was uh, big this week. It was heard in both the House and the Senate. Uh, both bills did pass their respected committees. Um, the sovereign immunity caps will now go to four hundred for an in four hundred thousand for an individual claim and six hundred thousand for an incident. Um, it allows local government entities to settle a claim in any amount without the approval of a claims bill by the legislature. If a state agency agrees to settle a claim or has a judgment rendered against it, the state agency may pay the amount in excess of the waiver of sovereign immunity and any insurance coverage only by seeking excess payment from the legislature through a claims bill. It also abolishes the home venue privilege, thereby allowing a claimant to bring a suit against the state. Um, it also just reduces from three years to 18 months the time allotted for pre-suit notices to the state, its agencies, or a subdivision. Um, and it also reduces the duration that entities have to review the notice from six months to four months. And Courtney, I understand there was some fuss about uh, when these sovereign immunity caps would apply in a, in a claims process. Yes, there what, was. What's, what's going on there? Yeah, Jared, only on the House version right now does um, the limitations of liability is effect on the date the claim occurs shall apply to the claim. Um, basically, what that means is that if the incident happened in, you know, right now in 2024, the limit of those claims amounts will apply to right now if just because it gets settled in 2026 doesn't mean those claims will then be higher right i think a point that was made is that you know let's say it's a county for example that's being sued counties are planning you know their reserve money and their insurance and stuff like right. that around what they know to be true today and so obviously you know that they can't necessarily plan appropriately for you know a claim that's being processed in 2027 down right. the road and so it wouldn't make sense if if you know the caps are different then for it to apply exactly. differently exactly. um so so hopefully the senate language will follow and suit with that well thank you again courtney uh amir we are just moving right along here uh what is going yeah, on no. with uh that <laughs> millage rate revision yeah no all right so with house bill 1195 uh this was sponsored by rep garrison again this bill requires just a two-thirds vote of the governing body of a county municipality or independent special district is required to pass any millage rate increase except where a higher vote threshold is already required on a current law um this bill went ahead and passed favorably 10 to 4 in the uh, house local administration federal affairs and special district subcommittee um, this bill does have a Senate companion in the form of SB 1322 by Senator Angolia. Um, and now it awaits its last committee stop, which will be House State Affairs. Yeah, that's a tricky one, Amir. And as I mentioned last week, uh, just the way that the, the, the structures, just the way that the, the county commission boards tend to be structured, it's usually a five-member board or yeah. in some cases a seven-member board. Uh, and so in, in the case of a five-member board, in order to surpass that two-thirds threshold, mm -hmm. you need to get four out of five. On a seven-man board, you need to get five out of seven. And so it's really like an 80% threshold that these counties now have to hit uh, in order to, you know, raise and millage that, that very directly uh, impacts, you know, our, our 
capacity to provide services for our community. One, uh, one last miscellaneous thing I wanted to point out, uh, the stormwater rule. The stormwater rulemaking initiated by DEP uh, has to be ratified by the legislature, and it made its first step in the House this past week uh, as a committee bill in the Water Quality Supply and Treatment Subcommittee. Uh, it's now going forward as HB 7053. Uh, again, this this was part of a, a bill a couple of years back that you know directed DEP to initiate a, a stormwater rule. Um, and because the price tag on this rule over the next five years is expected to be well over that million dollar threshold, it does require legislative ratification. And so this is kind of the first step in, in that process, at least on the House side. Uh, the Senate version passed its first committee, I believe, last week. Uh, so both of those are kind of coming along. With that being said, I think that does it for bills this week. Uh, as always, please refer to our legislative bulletin and our bill tracker if you have any additional questions or need just a little more detail on some of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, but besides that, any housekeeping items, folks? Yeah, um, it is Miami Days next week. Oh, that's so a good one. Get <laughs> ready for paella and music and dancing. Get ready dancing. to see Bob McKee dance. <laughs> we yeah. love to see it. Man, I was going crazy last year. Hey, we work hard, but we play hard, too. We got it. You got to blow up some steam. Anyways, we will see you guys there. Everyone have a good weekend, and thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.